What is going on? Welcome to Land Podcast this week. We have Alex Skelly here on the podcast. He's a residential real estate agent out of the state of Minnesota. And we have a pretty good conversation all about the Burr method, something that we kind of mentioned briefly. And then beyond that too, we talk about just the general real estate market, where it's at right now, where it could be headed, and uh, just a good old fashioned conversation all about land, real estate, and how to buy your first farm. So I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. Real quick, before we get into it, VelvaFest is coming right up. If you are brand new to the concept of VelvaFest, that's something we started with Exodus about five or six years ago. And basically, it is the official start to deer season. That post-4th of July time, everyone's getting a little bit more excited. People are starting to class for bucks and uh, get their cameras out. So what we're doing here at Exodus, every single purchase on the website for cameras or arrows, you're going to get a free Velvet Fest scratch-off card. That scratch-off card is a guaranteed winner of a prize on the website. So that is very cool. It's a great way to save a little money. And then in addition to that, if you need more cameras and you need to build out your fleet, we have a great sale going on, 20% off any multi-render order. So if you order two renders, two render bundles, use the code VELVETFEST and you will save 20% off at checkout. And then you'll get your scratch off card as well, which will be um, a nice little prize there, a little bonus for your order. So be sure to take advantage of that. And that officially goes live July 15th and VELVETFEST is running all the way to August 19th. We're gonna have some pop-up sales throughout that time frame sent out to the email newsletter on exodusoutdoorgear.com. And also, if you are new here, the goal of this podcast is to help 100 people buy their first piece of ground. And uh, man, we're cooking right along that first 100 goal and really awesome. So I just want to say thank you to everyone that's taken a point to reach out, say, hey, you helped me. And to get on that list, there's a couple of ways to do it. If you are a buyer in the state of Illinois, I'm licensed here throughout the entire state and I'd be happy to help you if I can. If it's something that I'm not an expert in or if you're in a different state, I'd be happy to get you in touch with an agent that I would personally do business. If there's someone I don't know in that area, I'm not just gonna send you to someone I don't know. So that's another option. And number three is if you just simply learn something here on the show, send me a note and I'll still add you to the list because that's just the whole goal of this is to simply help educate people, bridge the gap, and so you are a sophisticated buyer in the land space. I sent out a pile of Pat Porter books here last week. I have a handful of them left here. That is it, just a handful. So if you would like to get one of those, be sure to head over to the resource sign up, sign up for that, and I'll send you a personal email and get that shipped out to you. And I think that's it for now. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Here we go. All right, Alex, welcome. Thanks for hopping on here today to talk a little bit about um, everything real estate and land. That's kind of what people tune in here for. So we're not going to give anything too much different. How's it going here today? Good, man. I'm great. How about yourself? Doing good. Doing good. Um, we have the successful arrow launch, a uh, new website for the Exodus website and, um, things are good. Yeah. So just, uh, carving out here a little bit of time to, um, talk everything, um, real estate in general. So tell us a little bit about where you're at in the world and what you do for a living. So yeah, uh, my name is Alex Skelly. I I grew up in northern Minnesota actually, um, and about four, little over four years ago, I after going to college and everything, I transitioned down to the metro of uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, and now I've resided in the suburbs down here for about little over four years, um, and actually. Uh, more background on that. My father's been a realtor in Northern Minnesota for over 20 years now. So I, I kind of grew up versed in it and I had, uh, I had a fair understanding of what I was getting myself into before I jumped into real estate, but I, uh, moved down to the Metro here after school and I was a industrial maintenance engineer for a little over three years. And then, uh, as of July, last year it was july 11th i started so i'm coming up oh, yeah. on here one year right now full-time in real estate selling residential here in the mm -hmm. suburbs i'm i'm south of like minneapolis by about 35 minutes uh in the suburbs so kind of right on the edge of things where it goes from rolling farm fields to suburbs and development and uh yeah selling residential full-time so you, I assume you went to school for engineering and then kind of found your way into real estate. How, what was that transition like? Oh man, it was, 
it was a it was a big leap of faith, honestly. Um, and I won't tell you that I'm exactly out of the woods yet, but I'm really optimistic for the outcome based upon the results I've had in my first year. Mm -hmm. uh, but to put it in perspective, man, you'd almost think a real estate you're you're a lunatic to be committing to such a commitment that is, for example, the the background to this is um, my prior job. I was pretty typical nine to five, made a good salary, um, corporate America structure, right? But, and I also went to school for this, right? And after about, while well, I knew that it wasn't for me after like a year and a half, and I grinded it out trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the next year and a half. And by the time, uh, or maybe a year, whatever, because there was some preparation with getting my license and everything for about six months before I jumped ship. But, uh, it, it was it was a crazy roller coaster at first there because you know every brokerage kind of the split of how they get paid whether it's from the deals or they have a monthly fee regardless or you know however your your structure works mine was uh i'm with remax results and with my business partner um my deal was like the the overhead of this or the overview of this is um i was going from a guaranteed salary and everything, healthcare, all of that. And jumping into this full time, man, it was, it's my bills would almost double. I was assured no income yep. and uh, I had to go out and get my own healthcare and insurance and everything like that. Um, overwhelming at first to say the least, but um, I just had faith that, you know, if you put in the work and also, you know, my business partner, it's just him and I on a team. Um, my business partner had a very thriving business uh, beforehand and uh, bringing me on. I just had faith that things would work out. So a year yeah. into it, I can tell you it's going in the right direction. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I totally, totally understand that. And what a great time to kind of get your license and get rolling when things are uh, really hot to get a lot of deals under your belt and get a get two years or three years experience in one year just from sheer volume. Yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> Make able the sun shines. Yeah, you got that right. So um, tell us a little bit like, you know, obviously having your your dad be in real estate for 20 years had to place some result in having the confidence to go in and, and leave that job and start basically a fully commission based position or job. Yeah. Um... I, I, it was a lot of talking around the table as a kid and whatnot, you know, hearing the trials and tribulations and the pros and cons, you know, high risk, high reward really is what it was. Um, and knowing that if you did it properly, if you put in the time, I mean, honestly, a lot of this is a vast majority of your time when you're starting out, you're prospecting, you're just prospecting, you're trying to get, trying to get deals, things lined up for the future. And, uh, I knew I just had faith that so long as, you know, I was diligent with that and stayed on top of it, you know, and on top of that, that's another thing with it is you're, you're self-employed here. You're, you're your own boss. You got to have, uh, I think it, it's underestimated the, the discipline you need to have on yourself when there's nobody looking over you. I mean, I have a business partner that he, but he's a partner. He, he leads me and helps me with you know experiential things and um if i have questions he's there to answer and kind of shoots me in the right direction but you don't have anybody telling you what to do you know you gotta gotta have the discipline and uh uh yeah i just knew talking to my dad i asked him like what's what's your opinion on this and he thought you know me personally right now i have just my home and uh girlfriend one mortgage it's going to be as cheap as uh, my life's ever going to be, you know, easiest time any... to transition. Yeah, exactly. If I was going to dive in head first, I just felt like right now when I don't have all these obligations and uh, family counting on me, I figured I might as well give it a go right now. For sure. So obviously you have a, a, a real passion for whitetail hunting. And I think most people in that space think they need to start, start out and be a, a land specialist that only takes 40 plus acre listings. So <laughs> what, what made you think that like, you know, why didn't you choose, uh, 
you know, a, a land brokerage, I guess, versus uh, residential? Um, I've explored the idea or the thought of it, but honestly, where I was living at, um, at the time, I, I was more versed in residential and I still, I am leaps and bounds ahead of my knowledge in, in land deals. And I would love to pick your brain on things like that because, um, I have every intention in the future to buy land myself. And I can tell you how I planted the seed. I can explain this a little bit later, I suppose, but um, I just knew that the residential market, it, exactly where I was at, it was booming. There's, it still is booming, even with the interest rates going up. I mean, the, the buyer demand here is it's high, um, compared to the, the sellers, but, um, I just chose at this time I felt, and especially with my business partner, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of background with him is, uh, he sold me a house back in 2019. <laughs> right. And yeah, based upon our mutual interests, I mainly, I, I mean, it's pretty much all deer hunting now to me, but uh, if I had to tell you, I had another hobby, it's uh, actually racing dirt bikes or motocross and my business partner, he's only in his mid thirties and his biggest hobby is racing dirt bikes. So after he sold me the house, um, we stayed connected and I just saw through his social media and then got to talk to him. I mean, he was, he's doing very, very well. He was actually the, the number one independent agent in 2020, right before I joined his team. Uh, we have like 1500 agents and results and he was the number one individual agent. Um, and he's the only, he has a team, but it was he's just him. Sold, sold right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I approached him on it and I thought, you know, he's got business busting at the seams here. You, you could probably use a hand with, you know, especially how many buyers and everything, you know, compared to a listing. Um, and I, I've just decided I was going to reach out to him and see if he'd be willing to take me on. And we went back and forth for it for a while. And I uh, finally came to terms with where we're at now. And he decided to let me join his team. So it was just like, a, it was the best opportunity I had presented to me or that I kind of sought after. I didn't know, I don't know anybody in, in land or anything. And, um, especially for where I'm at located, I would have to travel a ways out to do my prospecting for land and everything. Even though now we, I actually have a little bit of experience in land for developers in specific. Um, I do some cold calling and whatnot for that to help develop this, a couple specific developers we work with. Uh, I'll call people that are right outside of suburbia and uh, see if, you know, these, these longtime landowners are willing to sell mm -hmm. to, uh, go that route. But yeah, I just, I, I thought it was the best opportunity for me right now is to go the residential route and, you know, sure. things may transition to land in the future, but, or maybe I'll, you know, do both, but. Sure. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So, um, let's talk a little bit about your, I guess, past season here, kind of looking through what you, what you did here, looking at your Instagram, it looked like you killed three bucks in 11 sits. Is that right? Or like 11 evening sits? Yeah, three three bucks and eleven sits is what it was. And then I look at twenty twenty, and it looked like it took forty eight sits to kill one buck. So yeah. what what's the difference? What happened there? Yeah, night and day, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So there's, I think I would uh, attribute that to a few things. Honestly, number number one, uh, probably first and foremost is the transition into real estate compared to my corporate structure to where. Um, when I was, when I was working at my previous job, it was, I saved every single day of PTO that I could possibly beg, borrow and steal to use it all in the rut. Right. And I would take like two weeks or more in the rut. And that's what I had to work with. Well, now in real estate, I opted to only hunt the, the primo days, the best weather days I was hunting two of the bucks I killed before a major cold front. And then the day before a major cold front was coming in. And then the other, the first one I killed in Wisconsin, I had a cell cam on a field. It was a Wednesday. I had a cell cam on a field and the farmer just cut that field that day prior. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and it was a secluded field. And I got the buck that I ended up shooting. I got him on that cell cam that morning, right before daylight. So it was just kind of a no brainer that I needed, I needed to be sitting there that day. 
So that wasn't really a weather front. There was high pressure, but um, yeah, it was, it was just being able to manipulate my schedule to, to work around, you know, the, the most ideal hunting days. So would you say that was the most impactful just having more flexibility in your schedule to basically be more, quite frankly, more efficient with your time instead of, uh, you know, circling a day on the calendar, Hey, can I take this off or, you know, taking a full week off as you know, if you, if you take seven or 10 days off, there's probably only going to be like maybe two or three really high productive days out of that. Just that's just how weather fronts usually work. At least that's what it Mm -hmm. seems like. Exactly. I was, I was only hunting the day before the front or during or right after the fronts. Mm -hmm. And then another perspective to this though, that kind of misconstrues those numbers to sits to how much success I had, which was, um, I got three opera. Well, technically I got four opportunities last year. One was a, one was a crawl in whitetail adrenaline style on this buck. I got bedded in North Dakota and it was a giant man, but I, I'm not versed in the ground game. That's just not my cup of tea. Um, so that was a, that was a missed opportunity, I guess, because they picked me off, but like the three realistic opportunities that I got last year, I capitalized on all three and, uh, you know, got the kill. But in 2020, I got like, I think it was six opportunities. Oh wow. I, I passed the buck that I ended up shooting twice earlier in the year. Cause I knew he wasn't, I'm looking for that Pope and young certificate. And I just knew that he wasn't there. But, uh, so I passed him twice prior and then I missed one really good opportunity on a giant in 2020 because my bowl, uh, there's, there's two stabilizer wheels on the Matthews bows. Uh, there's like, they're like second secondary strings and I didn't notice, but one of my strings popped off the roller. I went to draw on this huge buck in like late October in 2020 and totally botched the shot went right over his back because that that oh, string man. came off the roller and I didn't notice it um, so that was a tough one but anyways yeah just missed opportunities and and whatnot in 2020 kind of led me into having to go that far into the season but mm-hmm. so out of curiosity and those were all how many different states from last year were those bucks uh so I killed in Wisconsin and then Minnesota and last was North Dakota. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of uh, probably where you're at in Minnesota. You can hop over to Wisconsin pretty easily and be in good ground. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's awesome. I quick drive within an hour of where I live. I'm hunting the farms I got access to in Wisconsin. So it's, it's, it's perfect for that. Yeah. No kidding. How far, how far roughly is it? Uh, I don't have a map in right, right in front of me. How far is it North Dakota? That's probably not too crazy far either. Probably Dude, we more. were we were two miles from the Canada border, so oh, wow. it was uh where we were hunting. So it was, I think it was like six hours. It was like a six or seven hour drive, something like that. Yeah, from where I was at to where we hunted. That's killer. That's awesome. Yeah. So what do you what do you have in store for this year? Mm, same three states. Probably I'll probably try to knock out the same three. Usually all my early season efforts are in Wisconsin because I got the most, most faith in that. And then, uh, Minnesota. And if, if I get that tag punched in Minnesota, um, I'll be headed back to North Dakota, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw that as well, but I got on the, the whitetail addictions crew this year. So the, uh, pressure's on for getting the kill on video two two out of my three last year i did get on film but mm-hmm. this year i'm gonna you know make sure that i get that these kills on video and then uh probably probably hold the same standard of at least p and y yeah uh, that, that adds a whole other element to everything for sure mm-hmm. so just to recap though biggest difference is just flexibility and schedule is that is that a bonus of what like when you had that great season, you're able to kind of uh, sneak out and hunt a little bit more uh, sophisticatedly with the dates where you're like, Oh, I really, I really like real estate for this reason. It's it's huge, man, because you know, you've, you've heard other podcasts of people saying hunting the best weather days. And prior to my transition in, in career, it was like, well, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world, but my, my work structure just doesn't allow me to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, huge benefit there. And I've, I, I had that in mind before I even started it. 
Yeah. You know, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, it, that only makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about how residential real estate could maybe help you out buying a piece of land. And, and everyone listening to this wants to buy land, owns land, has the goals to do so. And so you, we talked a little bit before, but you know, using the Burr method. So explain just what that is for someone that's never heard of the Burr method. What, what exactly is that? Yeah. So the Burr method is, it's an acronym of buy, rehab, or renovate, rent, and then refinance the property. Um, I'm pretty, pretty well educated and versed in this now because uh, my business partner has a rental portfolio here in the Metro of about uh, 12 homes now. And uh, I help manage and delegate work that needs to be done on these and, and occupying tenants and things like that. Um, I've learned a ton in the last year about this Burr method and, and all the, the benefits and kind of the, the safe, it's the safe commitment to, or a happy medium between somebody that's a a rehabber, you know, they just renovate properties and flip them or so many people that are trying to just rent properties. Mm -hmm. If you, if you get the right chance or the right home and you understand this method, it's pretty much the safest route for you to build a rental portfolio and be able to use that in this case, uh, my aspirations are to buy my own farm one day. So all this extra cash and whatnot will be safe, safe for that. So that's your strategy then to, to, to save cash and not to save cash for a down payment on a piece of ground is your current strategy. Yeah, but I'll use the Burr method. Mm-hmm. I I'm in the midst of it right now, but I'll use the Burr method to it's the most likely option for me to be able to fund this, this dream of a farm one day mm-hmm. because, uh, and let me give you an example on a property that, that my partner just purchased and um, I'm helping him take the reins from there after he funds it. And that is in this situation, you're looking for, you're looking for a single family residence, whether it's a town home, condo, single family home. This one was a single family home that we bought back in February. And um, the biggest thing that I think people have to get past in like my personal opinion of the situation is people that aren't versed in this, a true rehab property, a property that you're going to get for the right price. When you walk into this, um, you're going to think it's a nightmare. You're going to, you're going to be overwhelmed with the work that needs to be done to this because this single family home, um, unique situation to it, but it was, it was a foreclosure um, sat vacant for like a year and a half because it sat vacant in Minnesota with the cold winters, pipe bursts in the basement, it flooded. Um, I go into this thing the first time, right. With my business partner and because it was foreclosed on, and I don't know what their reasoning, it was government owned. Technically the price was way below the market value. And my partner paid like an astronomical amount above the list price to get it. And he was so pumped about this. And I walk into this home and it was, it was a disaster. Like I said, the whole thing's flooded, it, cobwebs everywhere. Um, you'd walk into it and just, uh, you wouldn't know where to start with the work. But ultimately bought it in February and in probably a four month span, renovated the whole thing. Um, and then got a tenant. I got a tenant there. Uh, this week that's that's going to be you know paying paying the right price mm-hmm. uh exactly what we were hoping for and then from from there so i can expand on what i mean by this and that's my most recent example but what you're doing there is with the rehab you're buying it at the rehab price right um let's let's just use rounded numbers here you bought it for 100,000 because it needs all this work and after you bought a hundred for a hundred thousand, you rehab it for say 30, you put $30,000 into it. So now you're 130 into it. Um, once it's rehabbed and fixed up 130 in, you rent it for, you got to make sure. And these are things to know beforehand, but you need to know what the rental market is in that area for beds, bass, square footage, similar similarities. And then you need to know what homes are selling for in that area 
same concept beds bass square footage features um to know that this is a good deal to know that it financially makes sense because the the safeness of this whole aspect is um once you renovate it and you buy it at the right price you renovate it and um rent it out for this this ideal what the market calls for ideally you the best case is you're looking for one percent cash on top of your principal interest taxes and insurance aka your loan amount per month you're looking for one percent cash on top of that number your piti um to to determine this is a really good deal uh but aside from that what you have there once you refinance it you're going to have it reappraised. Once it's reappraised, you could have a hundred thousand dollar property that you put thirty grand into. Now it's that you're sitting at one hundred thirty thousand. You could have it easily appraised for two hundred, two twenty five. Who knows, two fifty, and use that new loan. And mind you, the the first loan was just a short term. Ideally, you're you're paying just equity or you're paying just interest on that mm-hmm. short term loan with the intention of doing what exactly I'm explaining. And then the next one, when you refinance it, you drag it out for 30 years and uh, you pay off the the previous debt with the, with the new loan. And, you know, you're kind of off to the races. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it makes sense to me because I'm I'm somewhat versed in it as well, but I think you did a good job of breaking down what that is. But um, I think, you know, like some of the key takeaways obviously is being really competent in the area that you plan on doing this. So you can really have a a good idea on what those numbers look like throughout the entire process. And then I think you made a good point in terms of it's going to be ugly. So go ahead and accept that more than likely. And Mm -hmm. uh, if, if it doesn't make you go like, it's, you know, everyone else is going to have the same, you know, is looking at the same things there. So that that's really interesting. So for, in your opinion, what, how many of these do you think someone needs to do in order to buy, let's say a 30 or 40 acre track. And obviously that's going to be dependent on, what part of the country you're at, but like for your plan, do you plan on doing one or two of these to go ahead and get a piece of ground or do you need five or five or six? It's, it's really dependent upon, it's dependent upon the deal, man, because like I said, a really good one, if you got the right deal, you're cash flowing 1% on top of your PITI per month. So hypothetically, you're going to pay this home off in, in roughly eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, if so long as you're, I would just be, putting the money back into it because you're also gaining market value in this rental property. Mm -hmm. You're also, uh, if it, if it can get any better, you're also, um, depreciating this over time, Mm -hmm. uh, tax write off and benefits of that nature. That's huge in the long run. Um, right now I'm, I'm in good shape. I have no problem knocking on doors for permission property and hunting public land. But you know, if I, if you, solidify this now and have the intention of even a five-year plan to buy a, a track of land, you should be hopefully five to six properties into it. If you're buying one a year, that's that's realistic because eventually you can just do a, a line of credit um, if, if you choose to go that route. Um, get to the point of five to six. I've heard multiple people say that, that I value their opinion in this in this concept. And they say a lot of the times you get to five or six and it really starts, the momentum picks up as far as compounds. Yes. Yep. For sure. Um, So it's, it's not a tomorrow deal, but I'm perfectly okay with that. So so what's your point? Is it, do you want to get to five or six or, I mean, like what's, do you have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan? Cause someone out here listening right now was like, this is, this is something I want to explore more. So like, what, what's your plan currently? Um, well, unfortunately, when you jump from, um, you know, your W2 job to 1099, fantastic point to bring up. Yep. Yeah. I, me, in my personal situation, I am, they will, they won't lend me anything right now. So, uh, you know, once I get the two years of, of proved income with my new career and whatnot, 1099, yep. Yeah. Then I'll be able to actually get approved for some loans, but right now I'm just learning the ropes and yeah, stacking money, learning the ropes and helping my business partner, um, with his ventures. And I, I, it's been great, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, probably starting next year, once I can get realistically approved for the right amount, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start the process, man. For sure. Yeah. And just to recap that as well. So when you go from a W2 and then let's say you, you start being a full-time real estate agent or a full-time business owner or something else like that, pretty much every bank's going to want you to have two years of 1099 and that's going to be your, your new income. Cause you don't, you don't have a W2, which I mean, I have a lot of opinions on, on this, but that's, that's what they do. And you got to play by the rules. So, um, mm-hmm. and it's, it can be a little frustrating too, because it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing really well, uh, in terms of just rough dollar figures, but you know, that's not how they necessarily look at it. So, and that's, I think some banks too, even if you switch career, like even if you went from a W2 to a different W2, but it's a different field, um, mm-hmm. some banks still uh, want to see two years experience in that too. So it just, once again, we've said it a million times on this podcast, it depends on the bank, but that's, uh, that's something really good to bring up. So, uh, once you, once you hit that threshold of two years experience of your income with real estate, do you plan on trying to buy, buy a deal that first year that you're in it? Um, you, you mean an investment property like this, yeah. a, a bird property? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because um, I, I just see I've been exposed to the upward potential of it. And if you do it proper, properly, how safe it is, you know, because you have multiple avenues working in your favor. Um, you just got to be diligent on top of things. And I guess let me head this off before because I, I work with plenty of investor clients right now that are they're looking for deals like this. And I'm you know, I'm just the realtor to the transaction trying to help them find these properties. And uh, a common question I get is from from investors that are looking for these, they come into these and they're like, well, I don't know how to do any plumbing or electrical or drywall or anything on top of that, you know, and totally understandable. But establishing a relationship with some contractors and trying to trying to get somebody out for a bid, um, to give you an idea of what these numbers will cost, you can start to get an idea of how much you need to account for, uh, you know, spending aside to rehab the property mm-hmm. to then, you know, plan for the right financial outcome uh, in the long run. But I mean, if this property's on the market, talk to a contractor, try to get them lined up. And, you know, that's easier said than done because the demand for labor right now is through the roof. But yeah. Um, yeah. So getting a contractor out there, getting an idea of how much, uh, whether you're doing drywall, electrical, plumbing, carpet, flooring, paint, uh, just, you know, how do you, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, slowly, but surely, you know, check off the list and, uh, the outcome, once you do it properly, it's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So when, when you're prospecting something like this, let's say, you know, fast forward here a little bit, are you prospecting for a property that's within a half hour of your house, an hour from your house, an hour and a half, two hours, doesn't matter anywhere in the country. What exactly are you looking for there? Mm, The ease of it, I would personally be looking and like all my partners are within about 30 to 40 minutes of where we both live in the same city down here. Um, But I know people that and I've listened to other podcasts and whatnot of people that have them all across the country. And I'm sure there's technicalities to that, but as far as taxes and everything go and how that would shake out, I, I wouldn't be afraid to do it, but what you got to research if you're going that route is knowing the market. You got to know mm. how much a rehab property or a comp is going for in that area and then how much the, the rental prices are in that area. Cause those are variables that, you know, you, you, you gotta have for sure down before you, you make the right decision to move forward with a property like this. Yeah. It's really hard. It's hard, hard enough to be or challenging enough to be an expert in your own area, let alone an area that you're not familiar with at all. And I think mm-hmm. maybe uh, people overestimate what their ability is to, to decipher data that's, you know, floating around there on the internet. So I think, I mean, personally, I think you're, you're most deadly in your backyard. Cause that's where you're, that's what you know, what's going on. Yeah, but, for sure. so, and, but from a, hold on, from a consumer standpoint though, I uh, do a little research and lean on the real, the local for sure. experts of the realtors in that area. And, you know, it, so long as you trust the individual and they have the track record to prove it, mm-hmm. uh, the realtor should be able to do a lot of that work in the background for you, as I do for my clients in this area. Mm-hmm. How many of those investors are outside of uh, the Twin Cities area? Uh, you mean that my team's working with specifically? Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, the furthest one that I can think that we're working with are properties that are maybe an hour and a half out, further out into rural, but it, it drops off pretty quick here from high dense population to rural farm country. It, it switches pretty quick in this area. So um, yeah, probably the investors we're working with specifically like the furthest is maybe an hour and a half out of the metro. Mm-hmm. So how would you personally handle the risk of, because of, you know, if you get five or six properties and you look at like, man, I owe, owe a million bucks to the bank, let's say, you know, over those properties, and I'm going to go do a cash out refi and use that as a down payment to go buy another farm and put me another, I don't know, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars in debt. And all of a sudden you're sitting there looking like, man, I owe the bank's $1.4 million. How would you personally handle that looking at that number? Because it, it, it wigs me out a little bit and I'm sure it makes a lot of other people nervous. So what would you say to that person? Absolutely. And that makes sense. You know, it's a, it, it is really a financial commitment of what you're doing there. But um, all things considered, once you understand the concept, it's just, uh, and let's say hypothetically, you're going from a uh, right now you locked in at like a 6% interest rate. If you were to buy a property right now and in two years you did the work, you've refinanced it, or sorry, you did the work, you got the renter. Um, or even if this is on your primary residence, I'm not telling you this is the most ideal financial decision, but uh, how bad do you want to farm? What's your, what's your situation like? Honestly, if you, if you got into a situation that was there was currently your interest rate is um, 6% and rates drop back down to three. If you could in three or three and a quarter, whatever it was, you could drop it two points, refinance. And, you know, they're only going to let you take out up to uh, 80% of the value, or you have to keep 20% down payment into the home. So let's say you took the, if you had 30, you took the 10% out and went back down to 20. It's a calculated risk, but or, or it's, you know, there's a lot of things to take into account for that. But honestly, um, I can, I can hedge against the doomsday people that are telling you, oh, the, the market's going to crash. And I mean, I have this conversation every single day and they're telling me, well, I'll wait to buy because, you know, home prices are going to come back down and interest rates are going to come back down. And, you know, you remember 2008 and it's like, man, I, I, I strongly advise against you waiting because uh, everybody, every knowledgeable economist that we're paying attention to is saying the, the prices are not coming back down and we're not going to see 2008 again. But what, real, what will more realistically happen is you're just not going to see the appreciation of you know 12 to 15% like the last three years has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think the uh, two points on that. I, I totally agree. Every wise investor, time in the market beats time in the market. So, I mean, that that's uh, advice that has stood the test of time. The other thing too, I think about people have been so conditioned with all this frenzy. It's almost euphoric to be in the real estate space right now. Like everything is just going so great. Um, you know, at least it has in the last year and a half, like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. We listed our house. We would never expect we would have got that. And we got three offers and it was above list. Like, so that I think, uh, personally, I think that could slow down. And I also think too, where even where I'm at, where I see farms that used to sit for like a good farm, like a really nice farm marketed well, everything else. If it sold in 30 days or 40 days, that was still fast. Like, wow, that farm, mm-hmm. that farm sold fast or like a, you know, a more mid-tier farm, it could sit on the market for 90 to 120 days. Well, those are selling the, the top tier farms are selling for a week in a week or shorter. And these mid mid-tier farms, let's say is 30 to 45 days. I don't like, People are so conditioned to that. Realistically, it's probably going to go back down where a really nice farm might sit for 30, 30 days-ish. And then the mid-tier farms sit for closer to 90, 20 people are going to, or 120. People are going to say, oh my gosh, it's slowed down. Nothing's selling. But in reality, that's how it has been for a really long time if anyone paid attention to that. But people have short-term memory on, on what's going on. So that's, that's what my gut says. And people are going to make a narrative that things are slow and everything else. But that's, mm-hmm. that's just my two cents. You're right. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I've seen it a little bit thus far with like, um, hot properties around here. I mean, these homes will sell in one to three days, mm-hmm. um, right now with the interest rates, what they are and a little bit more inventory coming on the market. Um, we're seeing more like a week to 10 days of these homes selling, uh, some of the really hot ones still go right away. 
uh, don't let me fool you, but I mean, in general, we're seeing a bit more days on market, but all things considered from a buyer's perspective, uh, totally worth it. You can refinance down the road if you get yourself into the home now um, and you aren't going up against when when interest rates were like, you know, they bottomed out at the 2.6 or 2.7, you're going up against 30 offers on a home that <laughs> that's getting bid up to the moon. Yeah. You know, it, is that really worth paying that price or whatever? Is that worth the option of getting the lower rate instead of having way less buyers to compete with? But you lock into a 6% interest rate that you can refinance in as short as six months, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's so much that goes into it and everyone has different goals and everything, but I, I think that everything is just under a microscope right now. Like any, yeah. any piece of news that they can push a narrative. Um, that's mm. kind of what it feels like what's going on, but, um, I would, I would certainly agree with that. And so I think, you know, the biggest thing too, and I just want to circle back. So when you're, let's say someone wants to do this bird method and they're going through and they have the five or six properties and now it's time to go shop for a farm your strategy that you may employ would be taking out like pulling out cash out of those five properties or one of the properties for a down payment on another farm and have a mortgage on the on the farm as well or you point out enough where it's paying will you be paying cash on a smaller farm mm, my personal vision is to cuz like i said if you found if you really found the right deal and right now i understand with the interest rates that's harder to do but with the right property, you're going to cash flow 1% a month on top, you know, out of pocket. A lot of the times, in my opinion, it would be better just to put that cash right back into paying off the principal on that loan. But um, if you if you said, hey, I'm going to buy this farm in three to five years, start using that extra cash flow to to put it into a savings account and be your down payment for this farm. Uh, because to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, a vast majority of lenders are looking for 20% down, right? On these farms. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty fair uh, rule for them. There's some that are less, there's some that are more. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd be, maybe I would get to the point if I had enough equity in one, I would sell it. I would cash out refi if it made sense. Um, it, it's on a, by by situation basis, you know what sure. I mean? But um, there, there's just multiple avenues that you could go there. And really the determining factor in this, if we use the burn method specifically, it would be, can you cash out refi and have that current in, or have that new payment still fit the goal of close to 1% with the mm -hmm. renter in there, including rental inflation and, and whatnot, you know, can you still fit the mold with pulling cash out? Or are you okay with, you know, being breaking even on it with just the renter paying your mortgage every month? Mm -hmm. You know, it's however you choose to do it. Do you plan on self-managing these? Mm, I just listened to your podcast with buddy from the end of May and Apparently you don't do that. Yeah. And oh my gosh, he's built a dynasty by 30. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, in our situation with these 12 rentals, um, we don't really have a, we don't have a rental manager, honestly. Uh, I get, I get the, the reason why you would do that. And especially when what he had like 200 doors or something. Yeah. Like he that. had a bunch. Yep. Yeah. I'm talking about 12 instead of 200. So, you know, it's a different story, but um, I think once you got to a certain amount, that would absolutely make sense. And or in his situation, I think he was buying places that were further out from where he resided. In our situation here, we're, we're within 30 to 40 minutes of all of them. So if push came to shove, we could be there quickly, you know, to to address any issues. Um, I don't know. <laughs> to, to be determined. Yeah, to be determined. But ultimately, you're cutting into your income when you're paying a management company to to take care of the dirty work for you. It just depends. Um, and it's a little bit different, I think, with with your job as well. Like without being, you know, having a nine to five. Like if there was an emergency or something like that. You know, obviously, if you didn't have prior engagements, you could buzz over there and take care of it. Or um, mm -hmm. you're kind of in this arena every day, anyhow, too. 
Right. And we honestly, we have a Rolodex of uh, contractors at this point to where we could call just about anybody to fix anything uh, when it came to a home and specifically, uh, and they would get it done in a relatively quick amount of time. So. Yeah. that man, I feel uh, there's, I've called contractors here uh, in my area and I, m- there's multiple no call, like no return calls, no nothing. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. and I'll be really, I'll be curious if, uh, you know, the demand for that type of labor dials down of, uh, how that impacts their business. Cause I don't know, I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of returning people's phone calls <laughs> when it comes yeah. to business. And it's like, I'm not going to call you back if you couldn't, if you couldn't even, you know, call during, you know, a, for a general inquiry. So, um, yeah. that's, that's a side tangent there. Do, have you experienced that or you guys have enough relationships with the people you do that they're usually yeah, reliable? No, it's, it's still tough, man. Even with the people that we pretty much keep them busy 24 seven, uh, with, with projects, it's still, I, I agree. I'm I'm 100% on on your side with that. I'm calling everybody back and call, text, email. Um, but I also putting myself in their shoes. I understand that you and I aren't getting 50 calls a day for sure. work. Yeah. 50 list come list me calls. Those that unfortunately isn't happening at least for myself. <laughs> so I, I get to where they they get swamped with That's work fair. and they're so far out. But yeah, I agree. It's it can be a bear to get a quality contractor out to do some work right now. For sure. Okay. Time to get a crystal ball out. All right. So, um, it's been a while since I actually guessed this, but so we're sitting here, it's, it's June 29th, 2022. What do you think the general real estate market is going to do in the next 12 months? Is it going to go up, down, stagnant? I think it's definitely going to continually go up. Just like I said, not at the rate of return that it's been in the last three years because of um, because of the interest rates. I mean, that's ultimately what the feds are trying to do right now is, you know, it's not sustainable for our economy to go up, our, our housing market to go up. Where I'm currently at, I can't speak on the, the nation, but where I'm at, it's been a 12 to 15 percent appreciation for a, a little over three years now. Um, you know, that, that wouldn't work in the long run. So there's way too much demand here. Uh, from what's, the what's causing that, what's causing that, that level of demand in that area? Is there expanding industry or people moving there for some reason or what, what's driving uh, from what you've seen? Yeah, there's, there's some influx of people moving to Minnesota, but also just in general, um, everybody that the, the millennials are coming into now they're in the stage of, or the age of being able to purchase a home. And a lot of them are, you know, college educated with, and I'm not saying that's the determining factor, but nevertheless, they're starting careers right now are making a healthy salary. And a lot of people are, are in that, you know, 22 to 30 range or whatever it is a little bit older than that. But um, a lot of first-time home buyers in the market that have cash to spend that are financially capable to do that. And, um, you know, the, unfortunately you can't just plop down a house. The, there, it's going to take, this is going to be a three to five. The projection that I've been told, uh, is three to five years for this to continually go up, uh, for inventory to catch up to demand. Um, and as soon as that inventory catches up to the demand, I think that things will plateau. So you and even like for the rest of this year and the couple of years to come to answer your question, uh, I think it'll probably slow down to like the historical average of four to six percent. But you're, you're not going to see this downturn correction, 08 doomsday situation. I, I think that's very unlikely. We'll see. I mean, I think there's so many people. I, I don't necessarily disagree at all, but there's so many. Uh, everyone has an opinion, as as they should, and it's just uh, I don't know. It feels it feels like we were just kind of in a little bit of unprecedented times with with the, the interest rates where they're at, the lack of inventory and everything else. Like kind of just the perfect storm. So I think uh, mm-hmm. a healthy stall in the marketplace would probably be good for everybody, whether they whether they want to admit that or not. Yeah, and another another thing there is you know a lot of the, the next headline you're going to read is that we're in a recession because as soon as, it's coming yeah, in a couple of days. Here probably. Yeah. As soon as yep. that, as soon as the, the feds turn that around and say that we're officially in a recession, well, the, 
if you look at history, the only time uh, that a res- that the housing market went down during a recession was 2008, and that was because the housing market caused the crash. Um, every other recession in history, the 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 home values didn't go down, or they they at least sat stagnant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's that's not the case. Uh, it's just unlikely. Yeah, that's um, that's a fact of a matter. We'll we'll be getting that headline here real soon as quarter two wraps up. And and I think the the interesting thing too to your point, you know, you can point a lot of things why the recession is, but a lot of it is just people can't get stuff off the darn cargo ships and mm-hmm. everything yeah. else. So it's not yeah, it's just, I'm not an economist. I won't even pretend to be one, but that's just kind of uh, you know. With Exodus, I, I know the struggles of that side of things, getting products in order to sell them to customers. It's kind of hard to increase your GDP as a country when we don't have stuff to sell. So, um, right. yeah, so I, I think that, exactly. Yeah. So regardless, you can only control what you can and keep plugging away. Um, any Anything else here as we wrap up that you think would be very useful for someone listening to this that maybe is intrigued to maybe dive into more of the Burr method and see how that could help them reach their land goals? Uh, I mean, I think we covered a lot of the bases here. Uh, I'm also more than willing to expand on, you know, people's specific questions. I would invite you to reach out to me, uh, via social media. Uh, that's, I guess, in this case, follow my hunting page. That's deer (laughs) underscore development. Um, hit me with the DM there. If you have any specific questions to it, otherwise, uh, I don't know. I think we, I think we, they got a one-on-one they got a one-on-one in the burn method absolutely well yeah yeah, i i I certainly appreciate you taking the time to hop on here and talk all about this and good luck this season and uh you have to keep us posted on when you purchase the first burn method and start start the things in motion so we can you know stay stay up to date on what's going on yeah sure thing i will do that and i uh i appreciate you having me on jake all right there you guys have it thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode if you guys enjoyed it as always please share it with a friend or leave a five-star written review and also if you're leaving a written review your name is going to be in the hat to win one of five dozen of the brand new exodus mmt arrows great opportunity to get your hands on those and if you are not familiar with what we're doing with the exodus mmt i Strongly encourage you to go over to our website, check out the 3D Builder, and build your own tailored arrows for your hunting experience. We have a lot of great things in the pipeline for that. And I think that's it for now. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. See ya.